Hey, are any of you familiar with the name Jim Abbott? Jim Abbott, he was a, uh, he was a major league baseball player. And it's actually a, a really unique story, um, Jim Abbott. He played for the Chicago White Sox. He played for the California Angels. He played for the Yankees. Um, and the interesting thing about Jim is that he was born without a hand on his right arm. And so there was just a stub right there. And, um, you know, he, he tried to play. He wanted to play with kids when he was younger. And, of course, they never really wanted to play with him because kids can be real mean. And so he would go out and try to play. It wouldn't work. And so he came in one afternoon, came to his dad at home and said, Dad, just the kids won't play with me. Nobody wants to play with me because I don't have a hand. And his dad said, no, son, kids don't want to play with you because you stink. Oh, thank you. That's some grade A parenting right there. But it's not actually what you think because then his dad took him outside and said, we're going we're gonna to learn. We're going to practice. And his dad began to practice with him over and over and over again, day after day, afternoon after afternoon, in the yard, teaching him how to play baseball. And he got good. He got really good, in fact. And so he played through high school. He started playing college ball and then started to do a whole bunch of more stuff and had a bunch of other opportunities. Now, now, now when he would come up, he was a pitcher. And so when he would come and he would, he would be on the mound and he'd be ready to pitch, the batters, they would look at him and, and they would understand, oh, dude's got no hand. So they would try to bunt to his right side or they'd try to bunt over here so because they knew what's he going to do. He can't, he can't catch it. But he would perfect the move. So he, he'd throw with his left. I can't even begin to throw with my left hand. And if I try, I'm going to look ridiculous. So I'm just going to give you this imagery right here. And so he, he would throw with his left. And then I think just put his, his hand in his glove so he could catch. So they would hit. And he just practiced that move over and over and over again. So he just knew. Bam! He could reach out. And nobody could get anything by him because he just practiced. He just knew how to do it. And he was overcoming this handicap that he had. So as Jim continued to go on... On July 18th in 1987, Jim was the first American pitcher, pitcher to defeat Cuba in Cuba in 25 years. <laughs> yeah, wow. In 1988, in the Olympics, he pitched a complete game and led the team to a gold medal. In 1993, Jim threw a 4-0 no-hitter for the Yankees against Cleveland. Like, the guy was absolutely incredible. And as I read that story this week, it highlighted something for me. I think sometimes we forget that we have a choice to overcome the obstacles in our lives. Sometimes we just decide, well, this is the way it is, and this is the way I am, and this is the way life is going to be, and so I'm just going to give in to it. Jim said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not the way I'm going to live my life. I see something bigger and more grand than just that. And he went after it and accomplished it. Hey, everybody, how much more with the Holy Spirit inside of us can we overcome the things that try to set us back? We've been in this series called On Purpose. We've been talking about lies that we believe about our potential and our God-given purpose because we believe that everybody in this room has a unique and special God-given purpose in their life. And we're doing our best to figure out what those things are. We talked about a bunch over the past several weeks. Last week, we talked about some of the obstacles that rise up. We talked about refusing to do anything until you have everything figured out. We talked about trying to fulfill your purpose in your own strength. We talked about other people's criticism of you and how that can stop you. And we talked about how sometimes our character makes us stop short and not be able to fulfill God's purpose. But of course, you know just like I do, that's only a sampling of the things that try to rise up and stop us, right? There's lots of other things. And so today, I just wanted to continue that idea a little bit further. And I wanted to talk about some obstacles. And with Jim Abbott in mind, with the Holy Spirit empowered, I want us to push through some of those because the ones I want to talk about today, I think, are some that we all deal with, at least from time to time, and they can stop us pretty quick. 
The first obstacle I think that gets in our way is really something simple. It's called busyness. Busyness. We just get busy. In Isaiah 58 and verse 2 in the message version, uh, the, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and just says, they are busy, busy, busy. It's this unique little passage. And what he's talking about is a group of people who appear to be followers of God, but in fact are kind of far from him. And they're busy, busy, busy. Everybody's so busy today with all kinds of stuff. You ask the question, hey man, how you doing? What do they say? They just say, fine, which means nothing, by the way. I'm tired of hearing fine. Just stop saying fine. Just say terrible. At least tell the truth, right? Or say, great. Just let's stop saying fine. Okay, I'm done. You say, how, how you doing? Or, or they say, Oh, busy, man. I'm busy. I'm so busy. Everybody's got activities. Everybody's got responsibilities. Everybody's got opportunities that arise, and they've just filled our lives. And then if we're not doing those things, we have other things that are filling our time, and we're busy. We're busy with our phones. The iPhone, it's a great thing, but can be a bad thing. We're, we're busy with our iPhones and social media. Or if we're not busy with the stuff of life, we're busy with like Netflix, like sitting down, and streaming, binging, season one, two, two seasons, three, four, four, okay, four seasons. Four seasons in a setting, all right? It's not a big deal. Now, you're not laughing because you've done it. <laughs> oh, not me. I don't know about you. Not me. We're busy with so much stuff of life. And if we're not careful, it begins to squeeze out the purposes of God. Because I think when you really boil it down, if you're really honest with yourself, most of the busyness in our lives, it revolves around us taking care of ourselves, looking inward. Now, the only people that probably disagree with that statement are moms of young kids in the room. Moms, we see you. You're doing a great job. But for the rest of us, most of our time is spent trying to take care of ourselves, which means that just responding outward to the needs of others is not even on our radar. Like we can't even pick up on that idea because we're too busy taking care of our own stuff. I think this is really significant because of what I said at the beginning of this series, because your purpose always has to do with other people. It doesn't have to do with you. It always has to do with somebody else. So if the enemy can just keep you busy, 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 always doing stuff, if he can keep you distracted with all of your stuff, you'll never actually be able to step into the purpose that God called you to step into which means that you'll never make the eternal impact in somebody else's life that you were destined to, that you were created to, that you were made to. And that would be a shame. And I think that's why you and I have to develop rhythms, rhythms in our life to try to break out, to break out of the busyness of our lives. I learned this before I left Colorado. I was a youth pastor there for many years. And before we left Colorado, I learned an incredible lesson just about rest about putting inside my schedule a way to break the cycle of busyness and just stop and rest. If you reach all the way back into Genesis, you'll see that God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested, he rested because he was showing us a pattern of how he wanted us to live. Right? And then as you read through the laws through the Old Testament, you'll see that there are Sabbath laws outlined there. And I think it's still a good practice for us today. We work six days, and then we pause. We stop. We stop the work, we stop the busyness, and we stop not just to take a rest or to stream more Netflix, but we stop instead to stop, pause, look around and see what God is doing all around us, to see the glory of the Lord around us and in our lives. My family does this. On Friday night, about six o'clock, we are done. I finish everything and we just turn it all off. We're finished. And so we eat good food. We celebrate. We eat donuts on Saturday morning. 
We went to my son's football game, and we had some really bad ref calls, so I kind of broke the Sabbath thing, got real mad for a while. But, but we, <laughs> then we went to the green belt, and we found a rope swing, and we swung for hours and just swam and had a great time. We just paused, not just to fool around, but to experience the glory of God in my life, to see his hand at work, six and one, six and one. We work six days, we rest one. For some of you, that's totally foreign. You're like, I don't do that. And the fact of the matter is, Brent, you don't know because I'm, I'm really important to the process. Like if I don't do the work, it's all gonna crumble and fall apart. Can I just tell you that through the years, I've actually discovered when I stop and I trust God and I give it over to him, he takes care of it. Like he takes care of all of it. And all the things that I'm worried about and freaked out about, when I stop to honor him and see him at work in my life, he takes care of it. And this is what we like to say. You can do more you can, do more with, uh, you, can do, you can do more with God in six days than you can in seven without him. You involve him in those six days and pause on the, the seventh. You can do more. Listen, I just want you to consider it. Maybe it's not a practice that you have in your life, but as the people of God, I just think we should do it. We need to always stop, reset, and refocus. Another rhythm that we have is uh, on, the, on the first weekend of the month, we just say no screens. There's no screens. It's a screen-free weekend. That means no video games, no phones, no TV, no nothing. We just are in the house together, alone, silent. And what happens is like conversation. It's weird. We like play board games and talk to each other. And it's crazy what happens. And you know what happens to me? Like last night, I got done walking through the neighborhood and praying for you and for the morning. And I went home and I reached for the remote. Ah, stop it. Stop it. Just breaking the cycle of that thing in my life. Establishing rhythms. You need rhythms. You need rhythms of prayer. You need rhythms of worship. You need to establish these things so that you can hear from God, so you can make space through the busyness for him to speak to you and to build relationship. We gotta go much faster than this. The second obstacle I think that we face is called our, it's our priorities. Our priorities get all out of whack. Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, so don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think every one of us, we invest our time and our resources in the things that we deem to be the most important. And for most of us, those priorities, they're usually related to addressing our own basic needs, right? That's, that actually is really important. But what happens is you start talking about purpose and you realize that your priorities are out of whack. So everything else, purpose actually starts getting squeezed out of the picture because we're mostly concerned with taking care of us. So we're taking care of all the things that we need to and, and purpose in our life doesn't really register in that list of priorities. Maybe you have yours, God, wife, kids, church. I don't know what yours is. I don't think it always works that cleanly, frankly. But we all work, try to work out these priorities and I don't think that it works that way. So you start talking about purpose. Everything starts getting squeezed. And I want you to get this big idea. I think it's really important for us today. That is never confuse activity for significance and impact. Never confuse just activity, things that I'm doing for significance and impact. Just because you're doing a lot of stuff doesn't mean that it's making a difference. And the truth is meaning doesn't come from doing what we have to do to survive. Meaning comes from what we do that adds value to the people that are around us not just trying to make it work, not just trying to pay the bills. True meaning in life comes from when we raise our eyes and look out and see other people in the world and we begin to address their needs and make the world a better place. 
So I think what this really means is that you and I, we have to make our purpose on the same level as all those other things. Your purpose needs to start registering in your priorities. We don't think about it. We're busy doing all the stuff of life, going through our priorities and our checklists, and purpose just kind of lives back here. And then we come to church, and we worship, and the pastor talks, and we go, oh, right, purpose. I'm here for a reason. There's a mission that God's on, and I'm supposed to, supposed to be a part of that, but I, I don't know. And then you leave, and you go back, and you start working your priorities again. We've got to elevate purpose into our priorities. It's got to become as important as paying your bills. It's got to become as important as, as dating your wife. It's got to become as important as hanging out with your kids. It's got to rise to the level of eating healthy food, semi-healthy food. It's got to rise to that level and start to register on your radar for any of this to happen. I think what this means is ultimately that you and I have to prioritize discipleship. We have to prioritize the ways in which we live out devotion to Jesus. You know, when you look through the scriptures, there's this word that we use a lot, right? It's disciple. In the Greek, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and and it's not actually the best word for what's happening there. It's a good word. Disciple is a good word. But really, the best, I think, English word to describe the idea and what we're all trying to do is apprentice. You and I are apprentices to Jesus. We are in an apprenticeship to him. And this is really important because it's not the idea of I follow Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, I follow him like I follow somebody on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus on Instagram. I show up on Sunday, and he does a thing, and I hear a cool story about Mexico, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I see that. That's awesome. That's not what we're talking about. It's not, uh, oh, yeah, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower, so I go, to, I go to church on Sunday, and I go to a group. So I'm like, really Christian, right? That's two times a week, bro, right? That's, that's the way we tend to look at it, and it's not, that's not the way it was intended to be. We're talking about a whole life of devotion, everything that we have given over in service to Jesus. You're an apprentice to him. You're trying to become more like him. And so if you think about what an apprentice is and what an apprentice does, I hope that we kind of start to use this definition for us. If you're an apprentice to Jesus, you're going to be with Jesus. You have to be with him because you're trying to learn from him. So if you're apprenticing with someone, if you're apprenticing in a business somewhere, you have to be at the business and be with the business leader that you're trying to learn from. You'll be with Jesus. Then you'll start to be like Jesus. You start to emulate him. You start to look like him. You start to think like him. You start to become like Jesus because you're spending time together. And then thirdly, you start to do the things that Jesus does. And that, my friends, is what we're trying to get to. To do the things that Jesus does. To go into Mexico and to pray and see a man be set free. But not just in Mexico, but to do it right here. To do it at your workplace to walk into your home and pray for your children, to walk into your workplace and pray over that coworker and see the same thing happen. Listen, Jesus isn't one of our many priorities. He's not high on our priority list. Jesus is the paper upon which we write all of our priorities down. He's the baseline. He's the foundation. He's where all of it goes into. And I think that might be an important shift for some of you today. I don't want you to just wrestle out this issue of priorities and always miss it and not ever fulfill the purpose that you're called to. It would be such a shame if we just kept in our same priorities and we just simply survived. We paid our bills. We had good relationships. We did okay. I want more than that, don't you? Hmm, I do. <laughs> the third thing, the third obstacle I think that gets us is... Um, we're not willing to give up what we think we have in order to get what Jesus offers. I'm going to say that again. 
We're not willing to give up what we think we have in order to get what Jesus offers. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Here's what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only, good, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. I think for a lot of us, we're just like the rich young ruler. Well, except that we're not exactly rich. Some of us aren't so young anymore. Maybe we're not really ruling much of anything. But we're just like the rich young ruler. Because what happens is we're confronted with Jesus' call. He says, come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And our first reaction is to be defensive. Our first reaction is to make excuses. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can give up all of that. In almost every case, our excuses, they stem from that fact that we just don't want to give up our own lives. We don't want to give up control. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you give up your life for me, you're going to find real life. He's clearly saying, if you're going to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to lose it to me. Do any of you like the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Any of you read those books or watch those movies? Yeah, good. The first service hated it. I was like, what's wrong with you people? But um, I love those movies. I love the movies. love the books. Some of you are like, books? There's books? Cool. Um, love those movies. And it's an incredible story, right? Because you've got Sam and you've got Frodo. Frodo and Sam, these two buddies, and they're going to set out on this crazy adventure. But what do they have to do? They have to give up everything in the Shire, all the comforts, everything that they want to have, everything that's familiar to them. They have to give all of it up in order to do something greater, in order to have a great adventure, in order to take the one ring, the ring to rule them all, up Mount Doom and drop it into the fires right under the eye of Sauron. All that stuff has to happen so that everybody in Middle Earth can be rescued and set free. It's an incredible sacrifice. You're not getting it. You're not, let me just show it to you. Just watch this first part. This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Those of you that are familiar with the story, then you know they take that step out of their comfort, and then a long time later, like months later, they're on Mount Doom. They look terrible. They're destroyed, they're erect, their eyes are red, they're dirty, they're sweaty, they've been beat up, they've almost died a gazillion times. Gazillion, is that a good number? Gazillion times. They've just about lost everything, but they finally take the ring and they finally drop it on the fire. They destroy it, ruin Sauron's plan, and everything has changed, Middle Earth is set free. But they had to pay so much to get there, and some of you are like, yeah, exactly, I don't want to do that. I like what I got, I like my stuff, 
I like my comfort. I like the business that I built. I like the checking account that I have. I like my savings account. I like things the way they are, and I don't want to give it up because what if I end up like Frodo and Sam? But this, I think, is essentially what he was saying to this rich young ruler. He's saying, are you willing? Are you willing to give up what you have in your hand so that you can receive something so much better? And not just for you. It's so much better because it's better for people around you, for others. You ever watch that show, Let's Make a Deal? Remember that old show, Let's Make a Deal? Yeah, Monty Hall, I think, was the first. Now Wayne Brady's the guy. And so uh, it's a crazy show because people, they dress like idiots, for one. And they show up, and they come, they get called down, and they get offered a deal, right? I'll give you this hundred bucks, or you can pick behind what's behind curtain number two, right? That whole thing. And then they have to choose, and the audience is screaming at them, and nobody knows what to do, and so, so the, it ratchets up the, the, the pressure, and, and so you're watching, you're like, oh, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? It's so exciting. And they might take the door. If they take the door, then they might get a car, or they might get a jar of pickles, or they might get the zonk. Like, they might get something that's terrible, and so they don't know what to do, and they have to decide, will I give up what's in my hand? I wonder if you're still not quite getting it. You know what let's do? Let's play Let's Make a Deal. Let's just play for a second. Let's just play a quick game of Let's Make a Deal. So I wonder if there's anybody here today that would want to play. Anybody want to play with me? Anybody want to come up here and play Let's Make a Deal? Who's in? Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? You going to play? All right, Christine, coming up here. Oh, <laughs> She said me, and then trying to make her son do it. Vince, you want to play? Come on, Vince. Come on, man. Run around here. Run around this way. He's loving every second of what's about to happen here. Come on, Vince. Yeah, everybody give him a big fat hand. All right, Vince. Welcome, man. Okay, here. We're going to give you this mic right here. Should still be on. It's your favorite thing to do in the world. Here you go. All right. So, now Vince, let's turn that music down just a little bit. Now Vince, I have, have something for you. I have in my pocket a $20 bill. $20 in cold, hard cash. And you can have this 20 bucks. And you can take it home and you can buy your mom something nice because she made you come up here. Right? Or, you could not have this. Like, this is yours. If you want it, you can have it. Here, just hold it for a second. There you go. You feel that? Yeah, feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Still pretty young. You don't get a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Yeah, so... So, or Vince, you can trade that 20, bu 20 bucks for what's under the box. Now you're starting to think, hmm, what kind of man is Brent Parsley? And what would he do? What would he think? So what do you say, man? What do you want to do? Audience, what should he do? Box the money, bro. Box the money. What do you think? Uh, well, everybody's saying box, so I guess I'll go with the box. He bows to the peer pressure. He loses $20. All right, Vince, come on over here to the box, Vince. All right. You gave up $20, Vince, and what you gained instead was this. On this placard, it says, congratulations, you've decided to let go of something of value for the potential of receiving something greater. So, Vince, you get this first 50 bucks. Yes. But that's not all. Here's a second 50 bucks. And you get to choose anybody in this room, probably not your family, anybody in this room to give to. It may, and you don't know. It may be somebody that's in need. It may be somebody that really needs just a boost, a pick-me-up. might be a friend. Um, shouldn't be a girl that you got your eye on because that's not a good idea. So, but you get to take this and pick anybody in the room to have that second 50. Who's it going to be, Vince? Who gets it? Uh, uh, I don't know. 
There's a lot of pressure here. Everybody wants it. I'm going to give it to the crazy waving. Crazy waving, right there, the crazy waver. Okay, run up there and give it to him, man. Here, leave that mic with me. Yes, Everybody give Vince a big hand. It's a good job. <laughs> Listen, I just, I just want you to see it. I just want you to drive the point home in your heart. I just want to see, because just like the rich young ruler, this is the position that I think all of us are finding ourselves in today, right? Every single one of us, everyone's still buzz about 50 bucks. <laughs> Maybe he's going to give it to me. I think it's already done. I think that there's something that's significant that's happening here where Jesus is actually offering you something. And he's asking you specifically today, are you willing to trade in what it is you think you have? All of it. And I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, business comes to mind. You worked hard to build it. For some of you, it's a reputation that you've kind of constructed. It's an identity. For others of you, it's an addiction, this thing that you have that you feel like, I can't ever let go of that. I can't give that up. I wouldn't be able to. For others of you, it's just money and the stuff that money can buy. For some of you, it's an unhealthy relationship. I don't know what it is, but all of us carry things in our hands that Jesus says, I want you to give that over to me. All that stuff that you think you have, I want you to give it over to me, and I'm going to give you so much more. There's a moment here today where he's asking that of us. What are you going to say? But I think the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what is it that you're clinging to? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you just think, I can't let go of this? And this morning, just like the rich young ruler, you have the opportunity. Just like Vincent, you have the opportunity. I could give it up and I could receive something better. Better for me and better for the world that I live in. I want you to close your eyes as the band comes back, and I want you to think about this for a minute. We're going we're gonna to come to the Lord's table here in just a moment. But as we prepare to do all those things, I just want to ask you, would you just pause and ask the Holy Spirit? With your eyes closed, heart stilled. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that I'm clinging to that you're asking me to give up? I think it's an important decision, and I don't think it's frivolity. I think it's important and meaningful. If you're going to get to the place of purpose that we keep talking about, that you're hungry for, that you want to see, what is that thing that you just feel like I don't want to release? But today you would decide, I'm going to hold it with an open hand so that God can pick or choose as he wills. By the way, just because you say you will surrender everything to him does not automatically mean that he'll take everything from you. <laughs> you may li love where you live and you want to be there and you're afraid that you're going to have to go somewhere else. God needs you to live in that place, in that space, to bring heaven to earth in your neighborhood. You may have constructed a business. What if I, what if I give it all up? I don't think I could do that. He may need you to run that business locally here in town so it can be a light in the region that we live in you don't know but what he does ask is that if you surrender everything he asks that you would be willing to release it all to him that you'd be willing to sign the certificate of ownership over to him so he can have it all so now with your eyes closed your heart stilled i just want you to ask the holy spirit what is it that you want to do in me and he will speak to you
For some of you, it's already happening. There's just something, there's a picture. There's a word. There's like a thought in your heart and you just know, oh, that thing has kind of got a hold on my life and I've wanted to hold on to it, but I'd like to give it up so that I can receive something greater that Jesus offers today. Listen, there are so many people that are waiting on the other side of your yes. And if you don't say yes, I don't know if anybody else will reach them. God has his way. He, he loves them. He'll work something out. But wouldn't you, don't you want to be the one? So all over the room, let's just release that thing to him. Whatever it is, just tell him, I'm done with it. Got to give it up. Come on, in your heart, in your own way, just mouth the words to him. Father, I release I want to receive all the purpose that you have for my life. 